Need CEUs to renew your PT license? JOSPT's Read for Credit Continuing Education Program can help. Read and critically analyze one of many selected JOSPT articles, then take an online exam. Each successfully completed exam earns you 0.2 CEUs or 2 credit hours towards your license renewal. For a limited time, JOSPT Insights listeners can try one Read for Credit exam for free. Visit JOSPT.org RFC and click on Get My Free Exam to take advantage of this offer. That's JOSPT.org RFC. Click on Get My Free Exam. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today on JOSPT Insights, we're breaking down the principles of training load management. Joining me is Professor Tim Gabbett from Gabbett Performance Solutions. Tim is a sports scientist with two PhDs, one in human physiology and one in applied science of professional football. He's been working with athletes in high-performance sport for over two decades, and many in our community will be familiar with Tim's research work in training load monitoring, injury prevention, and high-performance sport. Welcome to JOSPT Insights, Tim. Thanks very much for having me on, Claire. It's good to to be with you. Uh, It's a pleasure, and it's great to catch up with a fellow Aussie. Now, let's get into our questions for today. I wanted to start by talking about your philosophy, and um, I think your philosophy is that athletes should be training smarter and harder. Can you explain what that really means? I'd seen a lot, um, and I've seen a lot of changes, cyclical changes, I, I guess, with training load from from a point where you know we we felt we could um, protect athletes from injury by managing them away from training. And then I heard heard a lot of people saying, "I'm not training harder, I'm training smarter." And you know, it kind of makes sense. You want to you want to train smart. You don't want to just create fatigue for the sake of it. But the the more and more I um, I looked at it, the more and more I, I thought about it in terms of performance, you, you need to, to train hard to get to high levels of performance. There's no easy way to get there um, and there's no shortcut to sustain success. So you, you have to train hard to, to perform well. And there was always this school of thought that if we train too hard, that that's where our injuries occurred until we started looking at it a little closer. And you know, in around 2012, we started seeing some evidence that higher loads were associated with with lower injury risk, and that was a, a big kind of light bulb moment for me, and it, and it got me thinking that you know unless we train hard, we're not going to perform well, and and we're definitely not going to be prepared for the demands of the sport. Since that time, there's there's been a, a lot of studies that have come through that have shown that higher chronic loads are associated with lower injury risk, as long as you get to those high loads safely, and and it's actually when you have low low chronic loads when you manage your athletes away from load trying to protect them against training load related injuries that's when they actually get injured so we're actually doing them a disservice on a number of levels they're not training hard enough to perform at the highest level when they they go to perform at a high level they get injured trying whether we're talking about peak performance or whether we're talking about just getting someone out of rehab there's there's now evidence to to say if we can load and load early that it, that it may actually save you time on the back end. So if you can if you can front end your loading and, and get some load into your 
into your injured athletes. You know, we're talking muscle injuries uh, within within the constraints of of biological healing time. Pre-load or front-end your loading, it, it might actually save you a lot of time on the back end. You get your athletes back sooner. So that to me, uh, these are all examples of training harder relative to your athlete's capacity, but training harder may actually be training smarter. So Tim, can you give us an example of what that preloading or that front-end loading might look like? Say, let's take the classic hamstring injury. What would your preloading or front-end loading program look like for, for a, uh, say, a, an American football player? Okay, so an American football player, they, they go through a preseason, then they have a five-week off-season before they come back of four weeks of training camp that, that, that brings them straight into the season. So in that period where you, you have a four-week window to, to ramp up loads to get them ready for the season, potentially you're at risk of, of muscle injuries because you've, you've just come back from a five-week off-season. Some athletes will have loaded well. They're loading. Some of them would have done the programs that have been given to them. Others, they come back in a deconditioned state. So one example of, of preloading there is that you, you try and use that off-season window as a, as a window of opportunity to raise chronic load. So if you can preload during the off-season, if you can do slightly more than you would normally do on a week-to-week basis, what you're trying to do is raise the floor so that when they come back into that four-week window leading into the season, they're better able to cope with the demands that are, that are about to come for the, from the season. Can you just give us a description of what you mean by chronic load versus acute load? And you talked about a spike in load, and I guess you're talking there a bit more about the acute load. Yeah, okay. So if we were, if we were to look at um, short, short-term loading, be it you know, one session, one day, maybe a week, we, we would call that acute load. And the load that you do over a longer period of time, let's say three to six weeks, a long period of training is, is chronic load. So chronic load is, looks at almost like the consistency of your training. Um, if you can be consistent with your training, then you will build chronic load. And if you're consistent with your training, you'll build your fitness. The whole idea of raising chronic load is so that you're able to cope with the acute demands of your sport, whatever that acute demand is. So for American football, they play on a week-to-week basis. So we know they've got the game demands, but then they've got all the practices um, during the week. So that might be considered the acute load, the game plus the weeks of the week of practice. You want your chronic load to be high enough so that whatever the game throws at you, you're prepared for it. Now, when, when your chronic load is low and, and you go into a week with, with high acute loads, so the game demand is high or your practice load is high, then potentially you're underprepared for that acute load. You're underprepared for what that, that week, is, week is going to be like for you. So potentially there's two things that happen. One is underperformance, so you, you, you haven't trained enough to perform well. But the second is um, you're underprepared for the demands of, of the week, so you're potentially at risk of injury. Some people would, would call it an overuse injury. I'd call it an, an under-preparation injury, that you just haven't trained hard enough, performed enough training on a consistent basis to prepare you for the acute demands of the sport. What would be your guiding principles for load management? If I had to get you to write these down so we could nail them on the, on the clinic wall, what would you say are your guiding principles, Tim? You know, I think a lot of people 
believe that load management is is around is about resting resting players. Now, hopefully by this point you, you've you've got the picture that that's the furthest thing from my mind. I guess there was a point there where it was easy to rest players. It's e- it's easy because we assume that there's no consequence, but there's always a consequence. And if you manage your athletes away from training often enough, if you if you start having recovery sessions for your recovery sessions, then there is a consequence, and the consequence is you're under unprepared. Load management isn't about just resting. Um, if I if I had to think of load management, essentially what we're talking about is well-established principles of training. So we're talking about when you when you design a program, we're talking about progression and overload. We're talking about specificity. That if you if you want to become a, a good marathon runner, then you're probably going to have to run. If you if you want to become a, a good baseball pitcher, then you're probably going to have to throw a ball. We're talking about recovery. Having when you when you train hard, you can't train hard all the time. That you have to design your program to to factor in recovery in there. There's reversibility. So if you if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And then there's there's also individuality. That um, the, the program that works for you may not be the best program that works for me. So they're, they're principles of training that can generally fall under the load management banner. If I was to to think about how I go about my training day to day with my athletes, the first is I want to build high chronic loads um, because essentially what I'm doing is building consistency into my training. I want to train hard, I want to recover hard, and then I want to go back and do it again. The second thing is I, I want to identify what the demands of the sport are. And I'm not just talking about the average demands that most people see. I want to kind of look inside the game and look at the most demanding passages of play. Typically, that's where the game is won and lost. If you if you look at where points are scored, they tend to occur on the back of very high-intensity passages of play. So your ability or your inability of your players to do those repeated efforts and those most demanding passages can be critical to the outcome of the game. That's the second point is prepare for those most demanding passages of play. Identify them and make sure your players are prepared for them. And the the third part is whether we're a physical therapist or whether we're an athletic trainer or a strength and conditioning coach, we're all after the same thing or or a coach. We, We want to get out of rehab and we want to get to peak performance as quickly as possible. All of us want that. A guiding principle for me is we've still got to be sensible about it. And we, we want to get our athletes to the ceiling as quickly as possible, but get them there as safely as possible as well. Build chronic loads, prepare for the most demanding passage of play, and get there as safely as possible is, is probably my underlying principles around, around training. Let's pick up on the recovery part of this. How do you know if the athlete has trained too much? Too much can mean different things to different people. So if we're talking about a physical therapist or an athletic trainer, you know, too much is when the when the player, the athlete gets injured. You know, there might be some people out there to say that we can predict injuries before they happen. I'm I'm pretty confident that I can't predict an injury before it happens. I'm reasonably confident that we won't be able to do it in my lifetime either. The only way that you can know for sure that someone is going to break is when they actually break. But there are some there are some signs performance you might get a performance decline you might be experiencing some some soreness that that just doesn't go away you may feel you may see some um, changes in mood or stress so we, we typically monitor well-being so so load alone won't provide the answer of whether you've trained enough and whether you've trained too much the second part that you need is the response 
So you, you load an athlete, you check the response to that load. So it could be during the session. If you're rehabilitating an athlete, it could be in the 24 hours or 48 hours post-session, depending on the tissue that you're, you're loading. And then based on the response to that, you, you determine whether you want to um, load again, or whether the athlete is ready to load again or whether you need to adjust the, adjust the program. So then, Tim, what do you do if you're noticing a spike in load? Evidence, or all research evidence, it, it continues to evolve. So we know that not all spikes in load lead to injury. Some athletes are better able to tolerate spikes than others. The real question then is, well, what is it that allows some athletes to tolerate those spikes in load? And what we know about load and injury is it just it's not just a flow-on effect from load leading to injury or spikes in load leading to injury. There's factors in between called moderators that will either increase or decrease the risk. So we know things like previous injury, age, chronic load, strength and aerobic fitness as an example, as five examples. They are moderators of the load-injury relationship. So if you, if you spike in, uh, the load of one athlete who has a long injury history and they're really young and they've got a poor chronic load and have poor aerobic fitness, you're probably going to manage that athlete's spike in load a lot differently from a separate athlete who is, has a very short injury history, has a good chronic load and is strong and aerobically fit. You would say the second athlete is probably more likely to tolerate the spike in load. So, so this this comes down to treating you know the individuality principle of training that that each athlete is going to respond differently to the same the same program. So the best way that you can avoid a spike in the first place is through good planning. If if you know that six weeks down the track you're going to be playing two games in a week, start your preloading six weeks out. Just try and raise your chronic load a little bit so that whenever you go into that spike in, in six weeks' time, you're better able to cope with it. Your floor is much higher. You've raised your chronic load. So the gap between where your current capacity is and the required capacity isn't as great. Now, this all requires, I guess, some way of monitoring load. What are your top tips for load monitoring tools? If you had unlimited budget, what sort of things would you be looking at? What's sort of the best case scenario? And then what might be some of the nice to have things, but perhaps are less critical when we're monitoring load? It depends a little bit on the on the sport, but in, in general, if, if you can get a measure of external load, what I'm talking about here is if you're with a football team, Maybe you're wearing GPS units in a basketball team. Maybe you've got some sort of inertial measurement system that, that measures indoor load, basically the work that they do. Then if you, if you can have an, a measure of internal load, it could be as simple as heart rate or it could be as simple as, as an RPE. The third part is some measure of response. Uh, again, I, I tend to go for simplicity, but um, asking your athletes how they feel from day to day is probably a good starting point. And then finally, you can measure some uh, physical readiness to train. So there's a whole heap of different technologies out there in terms of jump mats to, to look at neuromuscular function, or you can use watt bikes to look at peak power prior to training sessions or prior to the main training sessions. People are using heart rate variability. Now, if, if you had an unlimited budget, maybe that's what you'd do. The reality is not all of us have an unlimited budget. Probably the, the best way that we can capture load, and it's a measure of internal load, is using a session RPE. 
So if I was going to suggest um, a, a very affordable and easy way to capture load for athletes, just using a spreadsheet is um, just asking the athletes how hard they found their session today. You multiply that score out of 10 by the duration of the session and then you've got a load score for that session. And across multiple sessions in a week, you've got the total load for the week. The only other thing I might take is a, is a well-being scale. On one to five, say, pick three to five questions. How sore are you? How, how, how fatigued are you? How's your sleep quality? Those kind of questions. Then you've got a response. So you've got an internal load score as using a session RPE, which is a pen and paper response, if as simple as that. And then your well-being score is, is the equivalent of a pen and paper response as well. Now, with the session RPE or the session rating of perceived exertion, how long does it take in your experience for the athletes to calibrate? Just like any, any scale, they're going to have to learn what is a hard session, what is a, an easy session, what's a very hard session. And that will depend on experiences. So if you've got no experiences at all with training, that may take you a little longer to get to that point. But if you've got quite a, a range of different training experiences to draw on, then you've got a number of different anchors there. So part of the trick with getting accurate information from an RPE is actually teaching your athletes how to train, helping them understand the difference between good pain and bad pain, help them understand the difference between feeling a little bit out of breath and, and, and feeling fatigued. And then I, I think the, the final part of the puzzle, but I think it's actually the first thing that, that happens in the process, is you have to develop a, a relationship with your athletes. So all of these numbers will just be garbage in, garbage out. And I'm talking any numbers, um, whether it be the most expensive technology you can buy, it'll just be garbage in, garbage out, unless you have a relationship with your athlete. They've got to believe that you're using this information to help them get to better performance. Is this going to get me better? Am I going to be jumping higher or scoring more points or scoring more touchdowns? And if they believe that you've got their best interests at heart and that you're doing it for those reasons, then they'll run through brick walls for you. But if, if they feel there's an ulterior motive and you're just collecting low data or capturing low data with, with no real purpose behind it, then you'll lose them very quickly. You'll, you'll lose the coach very quickly as well. How would you advise the clinician to take these training load principles and put them into their rehabilitation practice? Yeah, look, I think I think the biggest challenge for for clinicians um, in the rehab setting in a day to day environment in that clinic is just getting enough time. You could try and do it yourself, capture their load and look at their load, or you could try and educate their the athlete around some some very basic principles around loading and, and help them understand load, help them understand how to capture it so that they can monitor their own load. Or there's a, there's a level of just in your pre-exam screening, having an understanding that load is one of the factors that may have contributed to the athlete feeling pain or injured, but is also going to be one of the things that, that is going to contribute to that athlete getting out of pain and getting rehabilitated. Load isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's been whenever someone gets injured, oh, well, load, load was the problem. But, you know, load, load can also be the cure as well. Load or, or exercise is, is one of the few things that works for most conditions better than any drug and better than any other treatment. So, And we know that if we can load our athletes and load early, then that's going to be beneficial. When you have an athlete that comes into your clinic, typically what we'll see is they'll have a, a specific injury and 
they they lose they lose capacity due to pain or inhibition and they lose lose function now at that point in time they're a long way away from returning to sport now our focus in clinic tends to be on that injury or restoring local tissue capacity now when you get to a point where you've restored local tissue capacity you've loaded to restore local tissue capacity you've decreased pain decreased inhibition you've improved function that doesn't necessarily mean that the athlete's ready to return to sport because what we've also got to consider is sport-specific capacity. So in this period of time where they may not have been able to load because of the injury or load in a sport-specific way, potentially what's happening is sport-specific capacity is falling to the basement. So you're restoring local tissue capacity, but sport-specific capacity could be falling. So the last tip I'd, I'd give the physical therapist who's working in the clinic is don't forget sport-specific capacity. Try and find a way to maintain sport-specific capacity in your athlete. If they can't run, is there something else that they can do so that you can do little touches every couple of days of sport-specific capacity? It's when you bring local tissue capacity back to as high a level as possible and when you maintain or build sport-specific capacity, that's when you're in a, a much better position to return to sport. Great tips. Thanks, Tim. And I think it, it draws together really nicely that concept of return to sport being a continuum from when the injury first occurs or when you first diagnose an injury right through to returning to sport and then returning to the performance that the athlete wants to. Typically, what happens is, you know, the physical therapist will say to the strength and conditioning coach, were well, you training too hard? And the strength and conditioning coach will turn to the, the physical therapist and say, well, no, you didn't train him hard enough. And the reality is um, they're probably both right. We need to work together for us to give our athletes the best chance of, of high-level performance. No one, no one owes load more than anyone else, but we all play a role in performance and we all play a role in keeping those athletes injury-free. Love it. Teamwork. That's a great thing. Tim, you've been working in this training load area as a practitioner, as a coach, as a researcher for over 20 years. What have you seen have been the major advances during the time that you've worked in this industry or in this, in this research area? When I f first started um, training athletes, we, we were training athletes, but we weren't, we weren't really monitoring them very well. We'd have a plan in place. Around early, early 2000s, it started to really become part of part of what we did in in um, high performance sport mid 2000s there was a, a lot of people um, using athlete monitoring databases or neural networks and telling us that they could predict injuries before they happen what i did see in that period was there was a shift in mindset without a doubt there was a shift in mindset that training load was a bad thing that we don't want to train too hard because we'll get injured so the best way to reduce training load related injuries is to reduce training loads manage your athletes away from training and it was a it was a real slippery slope because we started to get away from the things that we that we need in order to perform well and it wasn't until kind of 2010 and onwards that we started to realize that we we may have may have had it wrong that um, you actually have to train hard in order to develop the physical qualities that protect you against injury and also put you in a position to perform well so I, I really think 
we've gone full cycle almost to the point where scientists are starting to show the things that our our forefathers knew years and years ago well before science became embedded in training programs um, that you have to train hard i think in the next the next window of time that is going to be one of the biggest things that we will get from load management the minutes played is not the key variable load management isn't about decreasing minutes for all players what it should be about is making sure that you prepare well in in training camp for the demands of the season and you actually prepare well in off-season for the demands of training camp as more and more practitioners learn about the benefits of training load that we will we will have physical therapists and athletic trainers loading early and when they load early in rehab it, it sets the athlete up to handle the higher loads that they need to do in reconditioning which then sets them up to handle the higher loads that they need to do when they return to peak performance Getting better at understanding what's really going on with load and how do we tailor load management to the individual athlete that's going to help us take that next step forwards. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the way to go with it. Tim, thanks for joining us on JOSPT Insights today. Thanks for bringing your wealth of um, scientific and practical knowledge to this discussion. It's been fantastic. I've learned a lot. My pleasure, Claire. Um, you're doing a great job with the journal and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reading all these articles that are coming out. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Listener.